All right. Welcome to the listener's commentary on the letter of 2 Peter. My name is John Whitaker, and I am glad you are joining me here on the listener's commentary. Our goal on the listener's commentary is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. That is clear, down-to-earth Bible teaching straight through the books of the Bible so that you can understand those books in the language of everyday life and thus follow Jesus right in the midst of your everyday life. So that's what we're all about. And the listener's commentary is a crowd-funded Bible teaching project uh, made possible by the generosity of folks just like you. So if you're one of the people who donate to support the listener's commentary and the entire online Bible teaching ministry that surrounds it, I just want to say a big thank you to you. If you're somebody that's been impacted by the listener's commentary in some way, would you prayerfully consider uh, supporting this work in whatever way you can? There's a link down in the notes below where you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation. All right, now in this recording, we're going to be looking at the backstory to 2 Peter, the introduction and greetings and the story that really generates or motivates this letter. And what we need to say right at the outset is some people raise quite a few questions concerning the backstory to 2 Peter. Questions like, did Peter even really write it? Who was it written to? Why is it so similar to Jude? Did Jude borrow from it or did it borrow from Jude? Now, in spite of those questions, 2 Peter is written as a letter, a letter from Peter to real Christians somewhere in the ancient world to help establish them in their faith in the face of some really bad theology and really bad teaching. Here's how the letter of 2 Peter begins. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, as we've noted on the other commentaries on New Testament letters, this opening follows the standard ways letters began in the Greco-Roman world. You had a sender, you had a recipient, and then you had the greetings. And that's what we have here. The sender, Simon Peter. The recipients, those who have received a faith like ours. And then you have the greetings. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the way letters uh, began in the world of that time. So let's walk down through each of these parts and then let's interact with some of those challenging questions that have been raised by various scholars about this particular letter of 2 Peter. So, who's the sender? Who's the author? Well, the author claims to be Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And the question that has been raised by uh, some scholars is, did Peter actually write this? Or did someone write it using his name? The technical word for that latter one, someone writing it using his name, is the letter would be pseudonymous. That means it's written under a false name. Uh, and some scholars believe that Peter, in fact, did not write this letter, that uh, somebody wrote it and applied Peter's name to it to give it more credibility so that the early church would receive it. There's even some scholars that, that say it, it should be included in the canon of Scripture, but Peter didn't actually write that. And so there's quite a bit of debate about whether or not Peter wrote this letter. 
Why do some think that Peter didn't write it? Well, here's some of the reasons. One of the reasons people think that Peter didn't write it is chapter 2 of 2 Peter seems to rely on the book of Jude. And they say an apostle wouldn't do that. Uh, in fact, they go on and say, and Jude was probably written after the time of the apostles anyhow, so obviously Peter couldn't have written it. Or here's another reason. The words and language uh, in 2 Peter are just very different from 1 Peter. In fact, there is a lot of unique words in 2 Peter, so hmm, seems like Peter probably didn't write that. Or another reason, 2 Peter uh, 3 lumps Paul's writings in with Scripture in 2 Peter 3. So that means it must have come later when Paul's writings were started to be viewed as Scripture. Um, and a fourth reason why they say Peter didn't write this letter is uh, it wasn't well known. And there are a few people, even in the time of the church fathers, that question whether it came from Peter. And so, clearly, it, it must have been uh, written under a false name. Now, I'm not one to spend tons of times on these kinds of debates. I find a lot of them to actually be very uh, pedantic and unhelpful. But because there's so much of this here with Second Peter... And so much like scholarship uh, just assumes that Peter didn't write it. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's actually illustrative of how these debates very often go. So let's look at each of these arguments that uh, I mentioned and just kind of interact with them briefly. Uh, the first one was that uh, it seems like Second Peter relies on Jude and thus Peter couldn't have written it. Uh, just note that there's two big assumptions that underlie this. The first one is that Peter relies on Jude. Why not Jude rely on Peter? I mean, it could go either way. And there's scholars who actually think it goes either way, right? Like uh, Douglas Moo, a very well-known scholar, he actually says, look, I, I don't think there's clear evidence one way or the other, but if push comes to shove, it probably seems more likely that Second Peter was first and Jude relied on him because Jude 17 and 18 seems like it's a, a quote from Second Peter 3.3. 3. Um, and it attributes it to the apostles as a reminder. Um, now, it's not clear, but why just assume that Peter borrowed from Jude. It could go either way. Not only that, the other assumption of this argument is that Jude was written after the time of the apostles. Well, who says? Who says? Like, Jude, um, according to all traditional understanding, Jude is written by Jude, the brother of Jesus. Um, could have been written during the lifetime of the apostles, right? That's just an assumption. So, uh, relies on Jude. Well, we don't know. We don't know who came first and who came second, and it wouldn't prove anything either way. Why couldn't Peter borrow from Jude? Uh, he very well may have. What about the argument with all the words being so different that uh, from 1 Peter that clearly Peter couldn't have written it? Well, 1 Peter, first of all, is a very small letter itself. And what that means is we have a very small sample of Peter's writings, so we don't know his full vocabulary. We just don't, and we need to be honest about that. Uh, it actually seems like some of what Peter says in this letter is driven by the language that the false teachers are using, and he's applying that language to help his readers understand it. 
So he's, he's interacting with false teaching and false ideas. He's going to use some of their language. We just don't know um, Peter's uh, full vocabulary. We don't know if Peter used a different scribe in 1 Peter than he did from 2 Peter. There's plenty of reasons to say uh, that doesn't prove anything, right? What about Paul's writings being scripture? Uh, where Peter lumps Paul's writings into scripture? Well, why does that require it to be later? Again, that's an assumption. Um, it assumes that Peter himself could not have considered the Apostle Paul's writings as having that kind of authority. I mean, that was always the key issue, was the Apostle spoke with the authority of King Jesus. So why couldn't Peter assume Paul having that kind of authority and thus kind of lump them together like that? Uh, it's an assumption that Peter couldn't do that, not proof. Um, the last one that 2 Peter it was not well known in the uh, time period of the second century and after, and that some people even question whether it was written by Peter. Well, now at least we're getting something that's factual and not an assumption. Most everything else has been assumptions. And that's the way often these debates go, is it's just loaded with scholarly assumptions. This one here, at least there's some facts behind it. Um, that Second Peter wasn't super well known in the early church. Uh, it wasn't quoted a whole lot. There were some people, uh, some church leaders, that did question its authority in the second century. Um, the reality is, it's a small letter. Second Peter's not quoted hardly at all today in the church either. Uh, it's not super well known today either, right? It's just a small letter. It just doesn't get that much attention. Um, but that doesn't mean it was totally unknown in the early church. In fact, there's evidence for it being quoted or alluded to as early as uh, 95. And in that first period, right after the time of the apostles, from 95 to 120, there's just evidence of it being quoted or alluded to. So some people knew it and it was being used. Um, there's more evidence of it being quoted and read and used after that time period. In fact, 2 Peter has far more attestation uh, than critics typically admit. Like, yes, there were some in the early church who weren't sure about it, but many viewed it as coming from Peter and as authoritative. And that was the key issue. Did Peter really write this or not? If so, it has authority. If not, then it doesn't. And that was the question. And there were a handful of people that weren't sure it came from Peter. But there were some that uh, were sure it came from Peter. And guess what? It eventually was universally accepted as being written by Peter. There were other books written in the second century that claimed Peter's name, and they never were accepted universally. But this one was. So what was the difference? What gave it authenticity? Somewhere along the lines, it had that. So all that's to say it, that the arguments that is often given for why it couldn't be written by Peter just really aren't that weighty. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions and there's, there's a whole lot of evidence that suggests, yeah, they're just not that useful arguments. And in fact, there's plenty of evidence for accepting 2 Peter as coming from Peter himself. The primary one is the internal evidence, meaning the, the evidence within the letter itself. We just read verse 1. It claims to be from Peter. In fact, it says Simon Peter. Here's what's interesting about that is when it says Simon Peter and a uh, bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, right? When he says Simon Peter, he uses a unique spelling of his name. It's actually Simeon in Greek. The only other place where 
Simon Peter's name is spelled that way is in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. If this letter is written by somebody other than Peter and attaching Peter's name to it to try to give it some authority, why would you use the least common spelling of Peter's name if you're making it up? That just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Not only that, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, in it, Peter claims to have been an eyewitness of Jesus and the transfiguration. Is he telling the truth or is he deceiving people? Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says that this is the second letter he's written to them. Um, and throughout 2 Peter, he talks about his own death and how it's close at hand. Look, all such statements would be dishonest. They would be um, untruthful if Peter didn't actually write this letter and someone wrote it in Peter's name. There's no evidence that the early church actually accepted this practice. Um, so if they accepted this letter as coming from Peter, that means they honestly believed it was from Peter, that they didn't accept the practice of false names. Sometimes critics will say, well, it was just a widespread practice, people writing in, uh, under false names, and the church didn't have a problem with that. Well, that's just false. Um, there's zero evidence that the church accepted this practice. In fact, all the evidence is the opposite. All the evidence indicates that the early church rejected the practice of writing letters under false names. Let me just give you a few examples of that. All of the other books that were written in the second century and later that attached Peter's name to it, they were rejected as forgeries. They were rejected as coming too late and thus not being written by Peter himself. And thus they were rejected as untrustworthy and not accepted as authoritative. Um, not only that, the Apostle Paul specifically criticizes the practice of false letters. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. And he made sure everyone knew what his signature looked like so that they could identify his genuine letters. 2 Thessalonians 3.17. He says, this is how I write. This is how I sign off my letters. He wants to make sure people don't accept letters being written by other people in his name as true. Um, or here's another bit of evidence that the early church rejected this practice. There was a bishop or an elder in the second century who was actually removed from his post. The technical word is defrocked, right? Like he was removed from his position of authority in church leadership because he wrote a letter with Paul's name on it and he did so out of reverence and love for Paul. And the church was like, no, that is not a legitimate practice. And they removed him from his post. Um, and, an, and a church leader named Serapion in the second century said this about letters written under false names. He said, for our part, brothers, we receive Peter and the other apostles as we do Christ. But the writings which are falsely attributed to them, those we reject as men of experience, knowing that they were not handed down to us. The point is, all the evidence shows that the early church only accepted books that they were completely convinced came from the apostles because the apostles spoke with the authority of Jesus. So they only accepted books from the apostles or those closely associated with the apostles. And the practice of using false names was completely rejected in the early church. In fact, that practice contradicts the Christian commitment to honesty and truth. So, all of that's to say 
that there's perfectly good reason to just take this letter at face value. And when Peter says that he wrote it, all the good evidence would say Peter actually did write it. And so, uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, he's the author and sender of this particular letter. Now, who are the recipients? Well, the recipients of this letter are uh, described very generally as fellow believers. It's written to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This doesn't tell us much, except that they are followers of Jesus. They're believers in Jesus. They're Christians. But there was an original audience, even though they are described very generally here. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this is the second letter he has sent to them. So it would make sense that 1 Peter is the first letter he sent to them. And so if we're talking about the same people, and this is the audience of 1 Peter is the same people as the audience of 2 Peter, well, then it's Christians in the region of Asia Minor. It's just not 100% clear that that's who uh, Peter means. But that's probably most likely. So more than likely, we're talking about Christians in Asia Minor. And then we get the greetings. And the greetings in 2 Peter say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've talked about it in other commentaries on other letters, how this really is a kind of a, a unique kind of Christianized version of the typical greetings. The typical greeting in a letter would be chirine, which just means greetings. But grace comes from a, a similar root. And so chirine, greetings, charis, grace. And so you get grace to you. And then the typical Hebrew or Jewish greeting would be shalom, peace. And so we get grace and peace be multiplied to you, like overflow to you, specifically in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that phrase is important to this letter. In fact, the knowledge of God or the knowledge of Jesus, it's going to show up repeatedly throughout the letter. And it emphasizes the fact that Christians know God. They have real and accurate knowledge of God himself. And the reason this shows up here and throughout the letter is because the original readers are being battered by false teachers. False teachers who have left the true knowledge about God, the true knowledge about Jesus. So let me just summarize the situation behind this letter. Here's the story. Here's what's going on as best as we can tell from piecing it together by reading the letter. Peter is writing to Christians who are facing false teaching, and Peter believes that false teaching is only going to continue and maybe even get worse. And so he begins in chapter 2 by just saying, false teachers will come, right? Like, they're going to come, they're already there, and it seems like um, it's... It, he believes it's going to get worse in some way. These false teachers that are confronting these early Christians have some really bad theology. Uh, they say things like, it doesn't matter how you live. Grace abounds. God will forgive. Live however you want. Indulge your flesh. Satisfy your desires. It's even possible that they twist some of Paul's writings to support their false ideas. Why would I say that? Well, because Peter mentions people twisting Paul's writings in chapter 3. And so it's possible that these false teachers are doing that. 
It also seems like they tell people, oh, there's no day of the Lord to worry about. There's no judgment. There's no world to come. So don't sweat it, right? Live however you want. Whatever feels good, do it. Uh, that's at the heart of the false teaching that, that is confronting these believers. And Peter knows that his own death is near at hand. And so he doesn't want to see these believers that he's writing to led astray by such bad and untrue ideas. So he writes this letter to them to remind them of the truth, to remind them to pursue Christian character, and to remain loyal to Jesus. He writes to reassure them that indeed the day of the Lord will come and it'll bring a whole new world and they need to prepare for it by living holy and godly lives right now. And that's ultimately what 2 Peter is about. 2 Peter's message in a nutshell is this, reject false teaching and remain true to Jesus by living godly lives. And Peter really kind of puts this letter together with three big parts, three big chunks, if you will, to the letter. The first chunk in uh, chapter one is sort of like this opening call to them to pursue Christ-like character. And he states his goal of getting them to remain true to Jesus, to what they've been taught. Um, and so that's where the letter begins. That's chunk one. Then chunk two, chapter two, is really about this warning of false teachers and the, the need to reject their false ideas and their teaching. And then chunk three is a reassurance that God will keep his promise to judge wickedness and to make all things new. And that's really how the letter of Second Peter is packaged and put together. And so as Peter writes this letter to them, so uh, also to us, he tells us we need to reject false teaching and remain true to Jesus by living godly lives.